You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We fear for our provision and often sin because of that fear. Okay, so let's bring this down to personal terms. So let me ask you a question. What about you? What about me? What about us? How do we react to life's troubles? Well, what we should do is just stay put. Don't go down to Egypt. Don't turn anywhere else but to God. Put your trust completely and fully in God. Whether we realize it or not, some of the decisions we make in life are often influenced by fear rather than wisdom or guidance. As you can probably attest to in your own life, decisions that are based off of fear often result in disaster at the very least. In today's message, Pastor Mike will encourage you to reflect on the times that you've acted out of fear in your life In his study, you'll learn the importance of remembering these moments and using them as hindsight to make better decisions going forward and to rely on the Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 26, as he continues his message, The Sins of the Father. What does it say there in verse 4? I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all of these lands, and in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He shouldn't have even been concerned about the probability of that happening. Right? Yet he's worrying whether God would be able to preserve him. That whether or not God would have the juice to preserve him. Now isn't that strange? I mean, think about who Isaac was. Isaac was someone who was brought up in the equivalent of a Christian family. And I'm sure that he had been taught by his father Abraham about God creating the physical universe and everything that was contained within it. I mean, that that was quite an accomplishment by God. You know, all of the many facets of life that God had created, not only created them, but then sustaining them. I mean, that's no you know, small occupation, right? And then how about the flood? I'm sure that his father Abraham uh, gave him all of the information as it relates to the days of Noah and how that the sins of the people came up before God as a remembrance and, and uh, it was the stench of their sins and God remembered them and he judged the earth and he only uh, uh, provided for Noah and his family to enter into that ark. And he judged the earth, and then he, be, he started all over again. And I'm sure Isaac had that uh, knowledge as, as well. 
And then how about the miracle of his own conception? When his father Abraham was, how old was he when, he, when uh, Sarah conceived? Was he 100? 100 years old. And Sarah, his wife, was what, like 80, right? 80 or 85 years old. It was an absolute impossibility. They had passed their prime, right? She had already gone through menopause. And, and of course, he wasn't able to uh, conceive. Anyway, I don't want to embarrass anyone. But, you know, how human-like. Trouble comes. We fear for our safety. We fear for our provision. And often sin because of that fear. Okay, so let's bring this down to personal terms. So let me ask you a question. What about you? What about me? What about us? How do we react to life's troubles? Well, what we should do is just stay put. Don't go down to Egypt. Don't turn anywhere else but to God. Put your trust completely and fully in God. Peter, in 1 Peter in chapter 5 and verse 7, serves up some uh, wonderful encouragement. He says, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. And that's one of the privileges that we have as a child of God. That's one of the perks of being God's kid, the king of kings kid, right? And uh, that's just one of the blessings. And just so slip it on over to him. Cast all of your care, all of your burden upon him because he cares for you. Now, there's something else that I want to draw your attention to here that I think is significant. Notice that it was not God who exposed Isaac's sin. In verse 8, let's go back to our text. Now, it came to pass when he had been there a long time, that is Isaac, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And I don't know exactly what they were doing. They're probably snuggling, you know, how we get with our wives and, and uh, you know, holding hands and, and cuddling, kisses on the cheek or on the, on the lips or whatever. And uh, King Abimelech was present on this one particular occasion. He said, these guys are not brothers and sisters, by the way, that they're acting. And uh, so, uh, it, so he came to that kind of a, a, a conclusion. So I find it extremely interesting that it was not God who exposed Isaac's sin. But now Isaac is busted. You know, the Bible tells us that your sin will find you out. And how true that is. And, and by the way, that was, uh, that was the instruction that was given to the tribes of Gad and Reuben by Moses. Remember, just prior to them crossing over the Jordan River, to enter into the land of Canaan for the first time, Gad and Reuben, they were, they were uh, herdsmen. And on the other side of the Jordan River, it was fertile land, and it would have been more appropriate for them to settle there, those two tribes, because of their flocks and their cattle and their sheep and their goats and so on. So they requested of Moses, hey, listen, Moses, we would love to inherit this portion of land on the other side of the Jordan, so Moses' counsel was, okay, well, listen, you know, I'm in absolute agreement, but it's not right for you not to go over to the Jordan and fight against the inhabitants of the land of Canaan with the other ten tribes, okay, and you be absent. So here's what you need to do. Cross over the Jordan with us, with your brothers, 
uh, engage in those battles, and after we defeat the Canaanites, after the fact, then you can go cross back over the Jordan and you can inherit that land. That portion of land will be uh, given over to you. But then Moses went on, was very careful to say, but listen, if you don't do that, if you don't cross over with your brethren and fight against the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, listen, buddy, your sin will find you out. In other words, God is going to judge you. You'll pay the consequences for breaking that oath, that commitment that you've just uh, made. But it's so very, very true. Listen, you cannot hide your sin. Your sin will find you out one way or another. It, it might not even be God's doing. In this case, it wasn't. But listen, if you're disobeying God, don't think it will take God to expose it. He may, sometimes he does, but if he doesn't, eventually the world will find out about it anyway. You may feel as if you're really good about hiding your sin, but your sin will find you out one way or the other. Because you know what? The effects of sin, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Let's say, for example, you've been hiding your drinking alcohol. You're, you claim to be a Christian. But uh, when you're away from the church on a Friday after work, you know, the guys in the office, you go out and go drinking and partying with your friends. Maybe even do it at home. And uh, maybe you do it throughout the week. I don't know. Maybe you go to clubs during the week or whatever. And, but let me tell you something. Although you may have been really good at hiding it from your brothers and sisters in Christ, eventually your drinking is going to catch up with you. And you're going to develop all kinds of physical disabilities because of your excessive drinking. You know, follow that through with anything that you put your body through, where you abuse your body. Your sin will find you out one way or another. It might not be, you know, somebody sees you going into the club or sees you belly up, you know, you're at a restaurant having dinner with uh, your, your wife or your girlfriend and you're at the bar, you know, drinking with your buddies from work and you've gotten busted. It happens one way or, the, or another. Your sin will find you out. If you disobey... There's usually some unbeliever watching from some window, such as the case with Abimelech, glad to do you in. Because, it, you know, it, 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 it sort of gives them license. You've been sharing, oh, Christianity is where it's all about. We need to give ourselves. And now you, you find yourself in a compromising position. So it lets them off the hook, right? So they'll be glad to do you in. And I think about this, how far this is from what Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, here's a plug for our midweek service, we're right in the heart, in the middle of our series, which sort of like a mini-series within our series, the King of Kings series in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. I want to encourage you guys, if at all possible, to come out on Thursday evenings. But right in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus is instructing his disciples that men should see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So how, how is your Father going to be glorified in heaven if you're hanging out in a bar, right? Chasing women, cussing, doing things that you shouldn't be doing in places that you have no business being in, right? And so he's rebuked by the king. Verses 9 and 10. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, 
quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say she's... And isn't that the worst thing, by the way? Being rebuked by an unbeliever, right? Oh, my gosh, the shame of it all, the embarrassment of it all. And probably we've all, maybe some of us anyway, have had that experience. I thought you were a Christian. You know, I, you know, I, was, I was starting to believe that, man, you know, you had it all together. And I was starting to be a little curious about the life that you were living because I see, the, I see that your life seems to be pretty rich and full and you're a happy person. I, you know, I was thinking about maybe inquiring of that myself. But now, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. Man, you're just doing the same things that everyone else is, is doing. And so he's rebuked by the king in verses 9 and 10. So how could you say, she is my sister, verse 9? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have laid with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Now, at this point, okay, let's all put ourselves in Isaac's shoes for a moment. You would think he would have said, okay, God, I get the message, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the land of Canaan. But such is not the case. Because in verse 12, notice, he's still trying to hang out onto the land of the Philistines rather than returning to Canaan as God wanted him to do. In verse 12, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year, uh, year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Now, someone at this point might think that this is really curious. He's disobeying God, and yet God is blessing him. Hang on to that thought. That's, you know what, if you're, if you're asking yourself that question, that's a good question to raise in your mind. And again, this is a, a, another example of the way that we should read the Bible. When we come across verses of Scripture like this, what's up with that? He's disobeying God, and, and it seems as if God is prospering him. God is blessing him. He's increasing in goods and such. Well, anyway, he's still trying to hang on to the land of the Philistines rather than returning to Canaan as God wanted him to do. Well, let me tell you something. God has a way, because he loves you that much, God has a way of getting us back onto the right path. And listen, you can make it easy or hard on yourself because of the fact that you might not be committed fully to God, but you can be sure that God is fully committed to you, and he'll do whatever is necessary to get you back on the straight and the narrow, whatever it's going to take. But the point is, and this is where the choice comes in, you can make it easy on yourself or you can make it hard on yourself. And this portion of scripture is addressing the subject of being led by God, which happened to be the focus of our Bible, home Bible study groups uh, last Friday, which was a real blessing. And a uh, really good uh, exchange of ideas and and uh, just really, we had a great time at our home Bible study group. Anyway, here's God speaking to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. There's God's promise. He says, I will guide you with my eye. That's making it easy on yourself. Just let God instruct you and lead you in the way that you should go with his eye. How's that? Through the counsel of his word, right? through the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Now, that's the easy way. 
But if you're not willing to go the easy way, let's go on, verse 9. Do not be like the horse or like the mule. I like the mule illustration here, okay? Uh, don't be like a mule that God has to work more severely in your life, make it uncomfortable for you to get you back on the straight and the narrow, which have no understanding. Come on, you guys have a lot of understanding. You're week in and week out. You're taught the word of God, right? Uh, I mean, we are a privileged group of people, right? The emphasis of the teaching of the word of God. Many of you have been here for years being instructed in the word of God. And uh, what a blessing that is. So all of you should have now honed your gifts of wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and such. So that, you shouldn't fall into that category. You shouldn't be referred to as a horse or a mule with no understanding, which, notice, must be harnessed with bit and a bridle. You know, the bit is a, a chunk of metal that they put in the animal's mouth, and then it's attached to a rein. And to get the burst of beating, a burden, the beast of burden, <laughs> say that five times, say to get them to go in the direction that they want them to go, they pull the rein. And that chunk of iron rips out into the mouth of the beast of burden. It's hard. It hurts, man. Make, make it easy or hard on yourself. Whatever it's going to take. God loves you that much, right? Which must be harnessed with bit and a bridle, else they will not come near to you. So it's a choice, again, that you have to make. Okay, so let's check out what God did. First of all, as I've already mentioned, and I told you we were going to come back to that and explain why he was blessed. First of all, God blesses Isaac. Verses 13 and 14. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. And so the Philistines envied him. Notice the blessings of God led to his being envied by the Philistines, which was not going to be without its consequences, folks. The blessings that God gives sometimes to get us back on the straight and narrow, that it's a part of these processes, are sometimes not without its problems. The Philistines, we are told, are now envious. They feared him. They wanted him out of their land. Now, what did they do? Well, according to verse 15, let's quickly read on. They stopped up his wells that Abraham's servants had dug. You know, the, the, they were, they were uh, serving to provide water for his flocks that had been increased. Then Abimelech, King Abimelech, later on in verse 16, flat out tells Isaac to go. Verse 16. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than me. In other words, he had become too powerful. But he's still hanging out in the land, according to verses 17 through 19. But now, and this is sort of the, the uh, last straw, if you will, that busts the camel's back in verse 20, there's this conflict that arises between the herdsmen of Gerar and the herdsmen of Isaac. And Isaac, to avoid a war, he moves towards Canaan into Bathsheba, according to verse 
23. Finally, he's where he's supposed to be. And then God appears to him once again in verse 24 and once again shares the promise and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you, multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. You see that? Finally, he's where he's supposed to be. And God once again appears to him and reiterates what he had already promised him. Okay, let's wrap this up now, this message. Couple of questions. Have you strayed from God's path? And I don't want you to voluntarily give me that information. This is just between you and the Lord, right? Have you, and only you can answer that question. And I want you to think about this. You know, you're not just going through the motions and playing at being a Christian, but I mean, just you're full on committed to Christ, where you can legitimately claim that you're a Christian, that there's not anything in your life that you know, would uh, disqualify you from being a disciple of Christ? Have you strayed from God's path? And, and I know we're all dealing with sin. The Bible tells us that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive ourselves. So we're all dealing with something here. But I'm talking about continuing in sin, that secret sin that maybe no one else knows about except you. Well, God knows, obviously, because all things are open and naked in his sight, the Bible tells us. But have you strayed from God's path? What will it take to get you back? What will it take to get you back on track? You may have run from him in your disobedience, as, unfortunately, we have a habit of doing at times. But God troubles our path. Why? Because he loves you that much. And he uses these messengers to accomplish this work of envy, of strife, of contention, of sickness, of grief, of pain. These are, at times, God's messengers. Again, going back to what I said before, make it easy on yourself, right? These are blessed things. That is, if they bring us back to Bathsheba, that is the place of worshiping God, the place of receiving God's blessing. I want to close with a stanza of an old chorus that I found in an old commentary of mine that's out of, out of uh, production, out of print. And it goes like this, and I think that this is appropriate. Let sorrow do its work, send grief and pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.